Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, October 11th, 2021, and this is the Defender Bible Study Podcast. My name is Chris Johnson, and I serve as the National Director of Church Partnerships at Lifeline Children's Services. Today, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Romans chapter 8 is an incredible chapter. Some have said that it may even be the greatest chapter in the Bible. Uh, It is full of just so much uh, blessings and benefit that it describes for us, God's working in our life. Uh, There's not any, there's not a single imperative uh, command in Romans chapter 8. It's really just all about understanding uh, our position in Christ, who who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. We've seen very clearly in the book of Romans, in the first few chapters, obviously, uh, the description of our sin and the realities of our sin, what our sin has caused, and uh, what what we have to to look forward to because of our sin. We've seen the the role of the law and how the law points out that sin in our life and brings that 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 judgment and uh, the difficulty, the, the the realities that come with that. But then we've seen in the last couple chapters about the beautiful picture of justification and the fact of of justification being the picture of God's grace in our life and giving us what we don't deserve, giving us uh, freedom from our sin, giving us the, the, the resolution to our sin problem, our sin issue through Jesus Christ. And then today we're going to see in this this great verse that opens up Romans chapter 8, it says, there is therefore, and again, therefore connecting us to what has been previously discussed. We've discussed our sin problem. We've discussed justification. But then even in chapter 7, that struggle that's still there, that's still reality of, of you know, wanting to do what's good and, and, and finding myself still struggling in those issues and dealing with the with the flesh. And, and, and Paul says, in light of all of that and your understanding of that, I want you to know something clear. And he's very clear in this first verse. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a great reality that is. And it's kind of with, with when he says here that no condemnation, it's kind of the flip side of justification, right? Justification is that picture of grace, us getting what we don't deserve. We get that right standing with God, although we don't deserve it. Condemnation is kind of the flip side, which is that mercy. It's not getting what we do deserve. We deserve condemnation, right? We deserve to pay the penalty for our sin. But because of Christ Jesus and the work that he has done for us, we now are able to stand in the reality that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word condemnation here, really, it's a legal term. It's not used very often, only a few times in Scripture, and I think they're all here in Romans. But the, the condemnation is the idea of the penalty of a guilty verdict. So, so you've been declared guilty in a legal court of law. You've been, you've been declared guilty of, of the infraction, guilty of here in our case, guilty of the sin. The condemnation would be what is the penalty of that sin? It's something that you deserve because of what you have done. It's, it's a, it's the, 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 the right effect, the fallout of your actions and what you have, have committed that illegal, that illegal activity that you have committed in, in the court of law. 
And what Paul is saying here is for those of us, we have stood before, we, we stand before the judge and in our own strength and power, we are condemned and we deserve the condemnation. We deserve the penalty. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we do not face the penalty of our sin. We are now, there is now no condemnation. There is no penalty. Again, it's mercy. It's all about mercy. We deserve eternal separation from God. We deserve death. But God says, in my mercy, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And instead, I'm going to give you life. And so we're going to see in this chapter just this beautiful picture. We're going to look at the first 17 verses today. And then and then next time, the, the rest of the chapter. But we're going to be looking and, and just seeing throughout Romans 8, this beautiful reality of the fact that we are not under condemnation because of our sin and because of our actions. But those of us who are in Christ, we have something far greater and something that, that we can celebrate today. And uh, we're going to read through these first 17 verses in just a moment. But once you be kind of watching for some things, I'm going to, to lean into uh, Tony Morita gives a great kind of simple outline of these verses in his Christ-centered exposition of Romans. And um, so we're going to kind of lean into that, talk through some of that a little bit and see this picture. We're going to see in the first 13 verses, we're going to see this spirit of life that has been given to us, this reality of the spirit of life and the the word work and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, the Holy Spirit in chapters one through seven was only mentioned once in Romans, but here just in this one chapter, he is mentioned 20 times uh, in the in this chapter of, of Romans chapter eight. So we're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit, how he is involved in our life now that we are in Christ and the role that he plays. So we're going to see the spirit of life in the first 13 verses. And in those last few verses, 14 through 17, we're going to see this beautiful picture of the spirit of adoption and uh, excited to, to read about this and celebrate this. And so through this, we're going to see four things that we get, uh, new things that we have because of being because of the spirit of life, and then three things that we have because of the spirit of adoption at work in our lives. So let's read the passage together, and then we'll walk through and talk through these, um, these beautiful verses for us today. Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you by, the, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Aren't those just great verses? I mean, just thinking through and reading through this, we have this this clear comparison again that's just kind of continuing uh, on the realities of those who are lost without Christ, and then and then in contrast with those who are who are saved, who are now a part of the body of Christ, and we see the the difference between the two over and over throughout this passage. And and really, again, it's not imperatives, but it's realities. If you are in Christ, this is a reality in your life. If you have if you have come to faith in Christ and you have called on him as savior and you are in uh, in him, in the body of Christ, then, then these are realities that are in your life and things that you can hold on to, things that you can cling to, things that, that just really bring that spirit of assurance uh, that we are in Christ when these realities are in our life and are played out. So we're going to see again, the first few verses, the spirit of life and what new things we have because of that, and then the spirit of adoption. So let's start in the first four verses. We have a new freedom in Christ. We have a new freedom because of the spirit of life. He says, there is now for uh, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So, so throughout this, these passages before, these verses before, chapters before, Paul has painted this really pretty dark picture of the realities of the law and what, and what the law points out in us, right? It points out our sin, shows us our need for a Savior. And, and so it would be easy for us to say, man, we're bound by these things. And, and, and we are, uh, again, we, we face a guilty verdict because of these realities in our life. But he says that's not true for those who are in Christ. For those who are in Christ, the spirit of life has set you free from these things. We are free from the, the, the law of sin. We are free from death. We are free from what has happened. And, and how is this possible? How do we have this freedom? He says in verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law could never bring us to fully uh, to the point of salvation because of our flesh. Our flesh kept us from being able to keep the law, right? We had the, we were created because of Adam's sin. That sin is a reality in us. And that sin was passed on to us. And we have that sin nature in us that's driven by the flesh. And so that flesh keeps us from keeping the perfect law of God. And so it, we could not do this in our flesh, but God has done what the law could not do. And how did he do it? He did it by sending his own son. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. But, but because he was God and fully God, he was able to do what we in our flesh could not do. He was able to, 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 to live that life. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness, but he did not give into that sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So, so it wasn't that, that it was just like God just kind of threw his hands up and said, well, I love you and I'm going to pick you today. And so I'm not, you're not going to have to worry about paying the, the penalty for your sin. That's not the reality. The reality is someone took my place. Someone took your place. And that person was Jesus Christ. And because he did not give into the, to the flesh, did not give into sin, he was able to stand in my place and in your place and pay the penalty for my sin and your sin. He met that righteous requirement of the law. And for those who walk in him, those who place our faith and trust in him, that, that requirement has been met for us. And now we do not face condemnation. We do not face the penalty of our sin. We can walk in freedom today. We are free people because someone paid the price for us.
If you go back again to that court of law, the the, the verdict would demand, the condemnation would be uh, throw that person in prison or, or, or put, submit that person to a fine or, or this person's going to have, this is going to, they're going to be on this registry or they're going to carry this guilt the rest of their life. They're going to have to deal. But no, for those of us who are in Christ, we are completely free from the penalty of our sin, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because of the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ, because he paid that price and met that requirement for us. So because of that, we have a new freedom for those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, now it's important to remember when we're going to see this several times when Paul says those who walk according to the flesh, uh, spirit and not the flesh. And he's kind of going back and forth on this contract, on, on this, this contrast between the two. And it's important to remember because we know from this very first verse that Paul is writing to those who are already in Christ. So he's not saying that we, that we walk after the spirit and good things in order to get this standing. And, and he's not saying that if we walk after the flesh and we follow this, then, then that means that we're not good enough. We're going to lose that standing. He's making this constant contrast between the reality of a person who is saved and in Christ and the reality of a person who is lost and without Christ. And, and so we see for the one who is in Christ, he has this, this new standing, this freedom that comes from that relationship. Not only is there a new freedom, there's a new mindset. There's a new way of thinking uh, for those who are in Christ. Look at verses, verse number five through eight. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So again, this, this contrast, there's a new way of thinking for those who are in Christ. Our minds are, have a different focus. We have a different desire, different things that we're, that we're going after. Colossians, uh, in, in Colossians, Paul tells us the set our minds, our, our thinking, set our minds on the things of heaven, on the things above. And so our affection is on those things. Our mind is on those things. So those who are in Christ, we have a new way of thinking. And that new way of thinking is driven by our relationship with the Spirit of God. It's driven by that Spirit of life who is at work in us. This is why it's so important that as a believer that we be renewed in the Spirit of our mind. Paul's going to get to in just a few more chapters in Romans chapter 12, the importance of that. Ephesians, he says the same thing again over over and over again, because we now are not to be thinking like we used to think. We have a new mindset. We're, we're focusing on, on different things now than what we focused on when we were uh, without Christ. He makes this comparison in verse number six. He says, the mind on the flesh is death. But the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So again, this, this contrast, when I, when I read that, my mind immediately goes to Ephesians chapter two and the reality that before Christ, we were what? We were dead. We were, we were completely hopeless. We were completely lost. There was, there was no life within us, nothing we could do to get to him. We were completely dead in our sin. But God, because of his mercy and his love and his grace and all these things, he has now given us life, given us eternal life. And, and now not only, uh, not only not only life there, but but he goes on to say just that we're his workmanship and we have a purpose and a and he has a plan for our lives and our life now has meaning. And so we were before Christ, all we had was death, and that's all we had to look forward to. This life in earth was was the best thing that we had going for us because when we step into eternity, it's eternal death. But now because we're in Christ, this is the worst thing. This, we have everything to look forward to. We have life and we have peace and we have joy and all these things because of being in that right standing with Christ being in that relationship with him. So we have a new freedom. 
We have a new mindset. And then third, we have a new a new presence, a new indwelling presence within us. Look at verses 9 through 11. You, have, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. He, he says you have the spirit of God dwelling in you. Now, the important thing to, to note, just in your, when you're studying scripture, especially here in the New Testament, a lot of Paul's writing, he uses this word that, that we get translated in our English Bibles, if. And when we think if in our in our vernacular today, we're thinking that man, that's that's I'm not sure about it. It's if if this is right, then this must be right. Or if this, well, we're gonna we're gonna go somewhere if this happens. We kind of think of if a little differently. But most of the time, what what I like to do when I'm reading, especially Paul's writing, and I see the word if, a lot of times I'll I'll change that in my mind to sense because that's really the reality. He's saying if this is true, and we know it to be true. It's it's an understanding of this is a reality. It's not a, a question of doubt or those kind of things, but this is this is true. So when we read that, if we can say since, a lot of times in my mind, it kind of helps me figure out, you know, hear exactly what he's saying. He's not saying if by chance, but he's saying if in the fact that this is a reality in your life. So you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Isn't that a great thought? The spirit of God dwells in you. How grateful we should be for that. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If the spirit does not dwell within us, then we, then, then we are not of Christ. Those who are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But if or since Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So again, the one thing, it, you know, when I, when I get to heaven, if I have one thing to ask God about, it's like, God, why did you make us after we, after you saved us? Why did we still have to deal with this flesh? But it's the reality of this lost world, this broken world, right? We are still in the flesh. And so we still have this struggle within us. Paul's made that very clear. We still have this dynamic that's going on. But, but the reality is to combat the flesh and to combat the, the realities of still living this life on this earth, we, we have the spirit of God within us. And the spirit of God is greater even than the, than the battle of our, of our flesh and the thing that is, that is going on there. And, and so he says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If or since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Man, do we ever really grasp the magnitude of that? Ephesians tells us the same thing. The same spirit, that the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in, embodied in the spirit of God, that dunamis, dynamite power. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in you and in me. It's the same spirit that is alive in us, that gives us the power to live that righteous life, that gives us the, the power to overcome the effects of the flesh, to overcome the effects of sin in our life. If or since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's the reminder. We've got, as we're living in this world, we've got this struggle going on. We're still having to deal with the flesh, but the, the spirit of God dwells within us to give us the power and the victory over the flesh. So it has his dwelling in us has implications now, but, it, but he doesn't even end there. He says, I'm not even, I, I'm also, because you have the spirit of God in you, he is going to redeem at, at some point. He's going to even redeem this body of flesh. He's going to redeem all things. And we have a, a future resurrection to look forward to the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is 
is going to one day raise us from the dead as well. And we have an eternal perspective on that because of the Spirit of God dwelling within us. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is also going to, to give us eternal life. And he's also going to bring about that future resurrection in us as well. And so the realities of the Spirit of God being in, being within us is what gives us that assurance that we are in Christ, that assurance that our, that our faith is real and that our eternity is secure. So we have a new freedom. We have a new mindset. We have a new presence that dwells within us. Uh, and now we have a, a new obligation, um, a new purpose, a new, a new one that we are obligated to. He says, so then, verse number 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors. We have a we we have a we have a debt. We're we're debtors, but not to the flesh, because that debt's been paid. That debt has been canceled. It is it is to testify. It is it is paid in full. It is it is no longer the word. So our debt is not to our flesh to live according to the flesh. We're not obligated to follow after the flesh. We're not obligated to do what the flesh tells us to do. We're not obligated to follow our sin nature. We don't have to give into our sin nature. We are no longer obligated to do that. For you, for if you live or since you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. Here again, the reality is we no longer, uh, the, our sin debt has been canceled. So now our obligation, our desires, our, our purpose in life is to follow after the spirit and the things of the spirit. Again, there's this battle between our flesh and the spirit that's fighting for our affection, fighting for our attention, fighting for, yes, even our obligation fighting for our devotion and, and that the flesh still wants to, to pop its head up in the flesh and the devil want to tell us that we owe a penalty and the, the devil wants to tell us that we're guilty and that, that we face that uh, and that we're continuing to be debtors to him and debtors to the flesh. But the reality is for those of us who are in Christ, that debt has been canceled, that debt has been paid. We are no longer obligated to walk in sin because we now have the spirit of Christ within us and we can walk in victory. We can walk after the things of life. We can put to death the deeds of the body and live in the power of the spirit. We're able to say no to sin and yes to God, not because we're better than those who are still lost, not because we've worked really hard at it. We've gotten better at it uh, through our, through our flesh, but because we're in Christ and because the spirit of God gives us the power to no longer be obligated to that sin and to death, but now to live unto life. So these first 13 verses, we've seen just how the Spirit of God is so important in our life and how He is at work in us. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of life, uh, the Spirit of Christ, all these different different ways that He's referred here, who is, who is at work in us because of this new standing we have in Christ. But then in 14 through 17, He moves into this whole spirit of adoption and what this means and, and what this looks like. And, and uh, of course, our, our hearts immediately are able to see and understand uh, a lot about the picture of adoption and what that means being in, invited and part of a new family. It's a little different, a little different context to, to, to the Romans as they would read this. Um, we, of course, we know that we are born into the family of God through that new birth, through that second birth. But the adoption part of that is it deals uh, more so with our standing in the family of God, with our with our with our role within the family of God. And and so when adoption in, in the Roman culture was such a powerful thing, when when someone adopted someone as their son, it meant that that person uh, received all the the blessings and the benefits. It literally means to place as a son. And 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 it's important, you know. A lot of times we say when we're reading scripture and we say when it says in, in or the, that He's given us the power to become the sons. Of of God. We'll often say sons and daughters of God and, and certainly understand the context of that and understand the benefit of that. But the reality is 
being a son in Ro- in the Roman world, being adopted as a son, meant that you had the highest level of of, of standing in that family. Um, it was it was the sons who received the inheritance. It was the sons who who received the 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 uh, the standing as 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 being with the father and all those different different things. And so the reality is, this goes even even deeper and greater than I think our minds can even really comprehend the standing that we have with Christ as a part of the family of God. So there's three things that we get here. First of all, we, we get a new identity. We get a new identity. Again, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We, we have this sonship. We have this place within the family. We have this new identity. Um, when, when we adopted our children here and, and just, again, kind of our context and our understanding with, with each of the children that we adopted, uh, they got, a, they got a brand new identity. They had, a, they got a new last name. Many times we even gave them a new first name because again, it just signified that, that new identity, the new family that they were now a part of. They, they have that standing, uh, as, as a son of Chris Johnson. Man, how much greater to be a son of God and uh, to be placed in that in his family and to have that standing as a son. There's a new identity, but then also there's a new intimacy. And so we see the tenderness of this relationship. He says in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, again, Roman culture, a little bit different, understanding some things about Roman culture. The reality is when, when children were born, oftentimes they would be in the early stages of their life, they would be almost on the same level um, with, with the slaves of that family. They would be raised by those slaves. They many times would even live uh, in, the, in the house with, with, with the slaves or the servants of the house. They would be placed kind of on that role, on that level with a servant. But when they reached that certain point of, of sonhood, sonship, of adulthood, then that was when they would receive all the benefits and all the blessings of being the the child of of their father. And he's saying here that we don't have the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We don't have to to fear approaching our father. We don't have to, and we certainly have that healthy reverence and and that awe uh, and the fear of God that we're told to to have. But he's saying here, we don't have to be afraid to approach the throne of God. We don't have to be afraid to to, to enter because of the standing that we have, not just as born as a child, but we have been adopted as a son. And so that standing that we now have with Christ says that we don't have to fear approaching our father. But instead, we can run to him and we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's a term of affection, a term of endearment. And so we have this intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father that is provided by the spirit of adoption that is provided by the work of Christ. And so we're, we're not just as one that is, that is stand off that and one day, you know, hopes to get to a point of this intimate relationship, but we now have the, 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 the idea and the understanding that we have this intimacy with Christ or with God, that we can look to him as our heavenly father and we can cry out to him as sons, Abba father, we can cry out to our daddy. So we have this this new identity that comes, this new intimacy, and then this new inheritance that we have to look forward to. Verse number 17, and if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And he's going to continue this thought of future glory and the things to look forward to and all the different things that that come because of that. But we have in Christ now, we have an inheritance that is sure. We have an inheritance that is that is steady. I want to read um, one of the paragraphs. I, I looked up one of our adoption. This was our first adoption. We adopted our son, Alex. And as a part of this adoption decree, it, it says, this adoption decree hereby creates creates a relationship between the child and petitioners, his new parents, and all relatives of petitioners that would have existed if the child were a legitimate blood descendant of the petitioner. The child shall be the legal heir of petitioners entitled to all rights and privileges thereof, and petitioners shall hereafter assume the legal responsibilities of parent-child relationship. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat just to think about that? Of course, again, it's limited from our earthly perspective, but how much greater from the perspective of what we have in Christ and what we have because of Christ in this new relationship? We are joint heirs with Christ. Uh, my, my, my kids, Alex and Anna and Ethan and Emma and Aaron and Autumn and Joey, they, they have the same standing. They have the same benefits. Um, I'm not going to be able to leave a lot to any of my kids, but those kids have the same right to the things that I have that Alyssa, Andrea, and Amelia have. They have the same rights, everything. They are equal. They have equal standing in our family. And he says here that we are fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. Man, think about that. We, we are co-heirs together with Jesus Christ because of this gift that he has given us, because of this work that has been done in us. So as we think of all of these things today, as we look at these verses and we see so clearly all the different benefits and all the different blessings and, and all the different realities, again, these are realities that are true of us. We see these things. How is it affecting our life today? How are we living our life today? Are we living under the condemnation of a debt that we no longer owe? Are we living under the, the struggle and the pain and the penalty of a verdict that, 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 that would bring dark shadows on our life? Or are we walking in freedom to understanding our relationship with Christ, understanding our standing before God? Are we walking in the spirit of adoption? Are we looking to God in, in this intimate relationship that we have with him because of the work of Jesus Christ? I challenge us all today. To, 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 to let this sink in, to let, to, to meditate on this, these realities today. And as we meditate on these realities and as we understand these realities and we allow these things to permeate our minds, to permeate our hearts, they will be shown out in the way that we live. We, we now want to follow after the spirit and not the flesh. It's not because we're trying to earn that standing or earn that relationship, but it's when we truly understand the reality of who we are and the fact that we are no longer under condemnation, that, that challenges us and that urges us to want to honor God, to want to say thank you, to want to live a life that brings him glory, that brings him honor, that points others to him so that others might experience these same benefits and these same things as well. So as we go throughout our day today, as we go throughout our week this week, let's, let's, let's allow the spirit of God to just really burn these things into our heart, to burn these things onto our mind. And let's walk in this new identity. Let's walk in who we are in Christ and let's honor him in the way that we live and may our lives bring glory and praise to him. This week, our prayer focus is on our counseling and parent coaching ministries. So will you join with me together and uh, let's pray. Dear Holy Father God, we are so grateful for the truth of your word and all the different things that you have to say about those who choose to follow your son, Jesus Christ. And 
the work that you do in our lives and the new creation that you make us in Christ and the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells and guides and directs us. We're so grateful for these things. I pray that the message of this passage of Scripture today will burn into our hearts and, God, it will affect the way that we live on a daily basis. Lord, we also come before you today, Lord, just on behalf of Lifeline Children's Services and praying specifically, God, for our counseling ministry and our parent coaching team. And Lord, there's just uh, seem to be so many in our society, in our world today, Lord, struggling with with mental health issues, with uh, growing just depression, anxiety, loneliness, especially as we uh, continue to see the effects of the pandemic and all the different things that are happening. And God, we just pray that you just would... Um, or allow these folks who are struggling to find help, to find help through Christ, to find help through your church, to find help through the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. And we pray, God, that you would, um, Lord, just, just help people again to look for the true solution. It's not found in the things of this world. It's not found in worldly gimmicks. It's not found in, um, Lord, so many things that, that people in this world today run to. But Lord, ultimately, it's found in a right relationship with you. And may you be that source of healing May you be, Lord, that source of hope in, in the lives of those that are struggling. Lord, we pray that you would raise up your church, uh, your people, to, to proclaim the truth of your word and, and the, uh, provide that, that hope that is available through Christ. Lord, we recognize this is especially important in the area of kids from hard places and families that are caring for kids from hard places. And so, God, those families that are um, that are struggling right now, God, children that um, maybe have, have not quite met the expectations of their adoptive parents. Maybe those families thought that things would be a lot smoother and easier, but Lord, they're facing the realities of of trauma and the effects of trauma on the brain and on behaviors and 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 even on cognitive function. So I just pray, God, that you just would speak peace over these situations. I pray that you would encourage and strengthen uh, these families, these parents, Lord, that so desperately want to see their children walk in truth and want to see their children be able to function and and um, and, and live well. And I pray, God, that you just would, again, Lord, encourage them to get the help that they need to turn to Lifeline or other or their church family and places like this, Lord, that would be able to, uh, Lord, give them the resources and tools that they need to navigate uh, behavioral issues and struggles and difficulties. Lord, we pray for those kiddos, God, that are in this situation, Lord, because of trauma that has happened to them and things that have been done to them. And so I pray, God, that that you would just 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 draw them to yourself, Lord, and help them find their hope and strength in you. Um, Lord, help them to be able to embrace some of the the counseling techniques and things that they're being shown and shared with and, and be able to allow these things, God, to, to be able to take root in their hearts and their lives, Lord, and that they would bring the healing that is needed. God, we pray that, uh, Lord, you would, would help those that maybe feel like they're all alone, help them to be able to reach out to someone, help them to be able to reach out to the right people. We pray for those kiddos, God, that are maybe stuck in the system, what we call the system, uh, that need the support of a family, that need the support of a, a caregiver or a mentor in their life to come alongside them. Um, God, we pray that you just would provide all of these things. Um, Lord, we lift up our team, our, our counseling team, our parent coaching team. We're so grateful uh, for these ladies, God, that, that on a daily basis give of themselves. And Lord, they they hear so much and, and, and help support in so many ways that often, Lord, they themselves are drained and need refreshment and encouragement and strength. And so I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would empower them to do what you've called them to do. I pray that you give them wisdom as they seek to help families and help children and young people. 
whether you give them favor uh, with colleagues and others that they'll interact with, and uh, that you just would use them in a, in a mighty, mighty way. Um, Lord, again, we just we trust these things to you. We know that none of these things catch you by surprise, uh, and that you are aware of all that is going on. You hold all things together, and for that, we're truly grateful. God, we just pray, Lord, again, that you just would bring healing where it is desperately needed, strength and provision as well. And in all of this, God, we will give you thanks and we will give you praise. For it's the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.